love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. What the world needs now is love. More love. Stars literally aligned. He's always been the one. There's someone out there for everyone. I'm Nancy Regan, your host on the Canadian Love Map. We are on a journey to uncover and share love stories of all kinds. He's never forgotten to bring me flowers. We're hoping we're going to give a little good news to this world. Even in these dark times, the life continues to go on. It's all about compassion, devotion, adventure, and of course, love. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs love. This is the Canadian Love Map. Well, love is the most important thing. There's a group of people that they're like the working poor. I was one of those people and I wanted them to do what I couldn't do. They'll often say, I can't do that, Debbie. No, I don't have any of that. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't have any. I didn't have any of that either. This is what happens when you push against the wall. I'm not going to push you to the wall. I'm going to show you, you know, the soft way of getting here. Today's love story belongs to Debbie Adams, originally from Upper Island Cove, Newfoundland. Imagine growing up in a small, remote community that lacks role models who match your expectations for your life. From early childhood, Debbie was the square peg, constantly trying to find a fit. Despite many setbacks and curveballs, she eventually learned how to open the doors that had been closed to her, and that's empowered her to help others do the same. This is the Canadian Love Map. Debbie, welcome to the Canadian Love Map. I'm delighted to be here. We tell stories about love of all kinds, whether it's intergenerational or romance. And a lot of the time we just tell stories about people who are putting love into the world. And I hope you don't mind I'm slotting you into that category. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You okay with that? Yeah, I'm good. Right away, people can hear the lilt in your voice, I think, that gives you away as a Newfoundlander. Mm -hmm. Take us to The Rock and your beginnings, if you would. Tell us your story, your life story. Oh, my goodness. I'm from Upper Island Cove, a small community about an hour from St. John's. 2,000 people grew up there. and Oh, but I was born in Toronto. I always like to throw that in, you know. Really? Yeah, because oh. my parents went to Toronto to find work in the 60s, and me and my sister, we were born in Toronto. And then you had the good sense to hoof, we were hoof two. it back to the rock. <laughs> and I don't really think they really made the move, you know. It mm -hmm. was, yeah, so went back and then, um, yeah, I grew up in this lovely little community, 2,000 people, and left when I was 17. What was it like living in that town? You know, there wasn't much there except for like the school, the bank, the library, um, everybody knew, we knew all of those people, like 2,000 people. You were probably related to 90% of them. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, safe. 
and a great place for kids to be right on the ocean. My father was like a guy with horses and pigs and or not pigs, but sheep. I don't know why I said pigs. We may have had a pig, <laughs> but we had animals and chickens. And so it was that kind of lifestyle. What were you like as a little girl? We had a little bit of trauma in our family. My parents were in a car accident when they were 34 and 33. My mom and dad are only less than a year apart. And uh, my mother had a traumatic brain injury. So at the time, myself and my siblings were 13, 12, 11, 9, 8. Wow. I was the 12. So even like thinking back, I've been, um, you know, mothering myself for a long time. It was difficult. My mother never did fully recover. She broke a neck. She was in a coma. It was very traumatic for the community because, you know, that impacts the whole community. And so growing up is all seen through that lens for all of us. Prior to that, you know, people, my my mother was, you know, a, a pretty impressive lady, a beautiful woman. They danced a lot. You know, they we had babysitters. They went out and people would describe my mother as paragon of motherhood. After that, you know, we were all parenting ourselves. Wow. And I guess what that teaches you as a child is that life is fragile and things can change on a dime. It teaches you that when you don't really have the skills to appreciate that. I mean, I think we can say that now and, right. it, and it's like so relevant. Yeah. Back then you're 12 and you've lost, you know, your, your house is turned inside out. And then I left at 17, joined the army. Okay, there's a surprise right? because you know I think it's I think it's safe to say that most people would hear the story to this point and and you know you're a small girl in a small town you might think of traditional roles you might think of you know traditional careers even but the army where did that come from I don't really know where it came from I do know I met a recruiting officer at a local fair once and uh, I was about 12 and you know we had talked about that I think now, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and see that there were these inflection points where you knew, like, uh, um, you know, I kind of wanted to get away from all of that. And this was way forward. We didn't have the means to be able to, like, school was not an option. I was, you know, um, the first generation, like, high school, now university and all the stuff. And, you know, I only wanted to finish high school. So... It wasn't like, oh, finish high school and we'll be able to support you. We're parent, we're self-parenting. Right. So it was like, where's the job going to be? And and I just got onto that. And once I knew, you know, once I talked to that guy and he said, in order to get into the military, you got to finish high school. That was it. You know, laser sharp focus on finishing right. high school. There's the goal. Yeah. And so what did entering the Army look like for you at that age? Um, it was like going to St. John's and meeting with the recruiting people. And I thought maybe because I was half decent at math, you know, maybe admin or finance or something, you know, very traditional for women, very traditional. We didn't see non-traditional women anywhere to give us examples of what we could be. So I said, admin finance. And he said, um, if you want to do those trades, and, and I understand how all this works now, but you know, back then I didn't, but, uh, there's a two year wait. But if you want to be a mechanic, you could go right away. I'm like, oh, cool. all right, let's be a mechanic. I love it. <laughs> I love your your open spirit. <laughs> we're doing this. Uh, well, we're, uh, if not this, what? You know, it's like I was going. 
Like looking back, I was going. Yeah. Didn't matter what they would have suggested. Like I, I, I'm here. So it was a path out. Yes. And you but, took it. Yeah. But again, I'm reluctant to say I knew that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like a lot of things in life, I was just doing that next, you know, the next thing. It seemed like the right thing. And yeah. And so you became a mechanic. I did the first cohort of women to become journey mechanics, and I am quite proud of that. That's amazing. Yeah, I absolutely loved every minute of it. Did you? Well, that was my next question. Was it just a job, or was it something you came to love? No, Nancy, it was definitely more than a job. Like, the military itself was, it was home. You know, it was this welcoming place where you had people who were just like you, that probably were, uh, you know, um, from the same kinds of background, uh, looking to find that kind of connection and meaning. And yeah, it was the best place. That's wonderful to hear because, you know, there are a lot of women, of course, who have very different stories to tell about their time in the military. Oh, yeah, I have those stories too. Like uh, there are parallel stories yeah uh, it all it all yeah, is true yeah like we were part of just recently part of the class action lawsuit for women and that are those early that was we're talking 1980 mm-hmm. it was 40 years ago um yeah there was that story too but you know the bigger picture of of uh, what it, you know what it meant it was it was extremely important that sense of community yeah yeah yeah. And belonging. It was the belonging. The military was stability and and safety and, you know, all of that stuff. So you were sailing along on a, a calmer sea for a while until something interrupted your your progress. Oh, yeah, my heavens. I was in the military for 11 years. Absolutely loved it. And after about probably eight and a half years, I had... Um, I always say that one of the good things to come out of military, lots of good things, but was I was taken out of my environment in Newfoundland and landed in seven years in Saskatchewan, you know, two years in Edmonton and Ottawa and Kitchener and all kinds of places. Um, I met people, different people. Where where I came from was not diverse. The military was very diverse, and I had this myriad of experiences that not everybody would get. It was phenomenal. I loved that I was a mechanic and I did my early training in apprenticeship in Edmonton, then moved to Saskatoon as the first woman in Saskatoon. So that was a, a big deal. You're a pioneer. Yeah, so I, and, and I've not stopped pioneering. That's right. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. When I was in Saskatchewan, my, my boss at the time had suggested maybe a, a better track was to become an officer. So uh, maybe because you know maybe change trades, and so I did, and I went to Ottawa, and and in Ottawa the plan was that, you know I was going to pursue some of this maybe a little bit of university or whatever, but um, it was uh, you know in the nineties uh, the first Persian Gulf War was going on and you know all kinds of stuff and and that year I was told I was going to be promoted like fast tracked in this new trade. I had tons of leadership potential. I would not have known what to call it at the time, but you know, yes. I was good for morale and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm assertive. So, you know, I did extremely well in the trade 
Mm-hmm. So I had all of this potential, and and my I was told I was going to be going to uh, Germany. I can't say it too fast, or I'll cry. So so there was a like a bright light on the horizon. It was you a were bright going toward, yeah. That year, yes, you're going to be going to Germany with the Royal Canadian Regiment, and uh, you're going to be promoted, and you know this is going to be a, a step up. And part of all of that process was a medical, and I drove to my doctor's appointment and and uh, I had to go back and get extra tests done for my vision and and they told me I was legally blind <laughs> what so right you knew that you had problems with your vision no really no no I have a disease called retinitis pigmentosa which takes away your peripheral vision and I it's a, it was hereditary or degenerative you know or you had just lived with it probably without knowing the difference. I did not know I had it. Right. So I just lived through life, you know, with my brand new car and my motorcycle and on the range on Friday doing my qualifications with the weapons and yada, yada. So this, I mean, I didn't really know the implications of this, but I knew, you know, I walked away from there knowing I couldn't drive. So, you know, it had to go through a process, and the process was it went for a review, and they came back and said, um, she can't fire a weapon, and universality of service, and you must be able to soldier, and so we need to get rid of her. I was like top of the merit board, and that was like important and relevant, and, you know, in my 11th year, I was signed up for life, and then I'm gone. (laughs) Wow, no wonder it stirs emotion in you. Yeah. I, I can't help but think about the parallel between you and your mother and how your lives shifted oh. on a dime. Right, and how I struggled with uh, being a disabled woman because of what disability meant in the family, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to be that. <laughs> yeah, Whew, that's big. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm really interested in how, you know, we are as humans so resilient and we come through dark tunnels like that and are stronger for it and end up being able to help others because of what we went through. Yes. Not in spite of, but actually because of. Yes. So how is that your story? How do you fit into that narrative? I don't think I could be even here telling this story. And and I hope I never lose the emotion because it, I can't trivialize that and, and say, oh, it was okay. Right on. <laughs> no, it wasn't okay. Right. Uh, all of it wasn't okay, the way it was done and, and the impact. So, but without all of that, I wouldn't be me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I help people through from a lived experience. It got worse. You know, that wasn't, it wasn't, oh, there, there it is, one and done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that changed me. Life likes to knock you down time after time. That's right. <laughs> not quite yet. It's like, not quite yet. But, you know, I think what happens later, it certainly happened for me. I mean, I, I've been to university. I, you know, I've got a business. I'm doing, I've written four books. I mean, I'm a different person. I, I hardly recognize myself. But I am ever so grateful for all of it the package. Mm-hmm. I'm also quite pissed off on occasion when it's like, I didn't want that package. <laughs> you Both know? things are true. Yeah, at the same time. Okay, so where did your life go from there? I had a child. I got married. Then I got divorced. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm uh, 40 years old by this time and divorced. And, you know, I, I will mention, though, Nancy, that nowhere in there would you see me processing that trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, I very quickly moved to the next thing. This was my pattern. Suppress, bury it, move on. And be remarkable. Yes. Right? And be that little perfectionist who never brings any worry and, you know, don't ask for help. And oh, you're telling my story. Yeah. So I, so I did that. And, and then by the time I was 40, it was like, you know, the, mar the marriage had failed. My child is nine. We had just moved to Nova Scotia, and I decided I'd go to university. So 40 years ago, I joined the military. 20 years ago, you know, I hit the wall and, and started this... Uh, yeah, this new journey. I had um, clinical depression at the time, so I took a semester off. Went back to Mount St. Vincent, finished my uh, degree, graduated with distinction, got a little scholarship. Took me a long time, you know, five years, and and I'm applying for three thousand jobs in Nova Scotia. Nobody would hire me. Mm. <laughs> I had no network. I had zero network. Not the case today, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. I know the right people. But at the time, I didn't, and I didn't understand how it worked here. Mm -hmm. And so I thought with all of my experience, all my education, and all of my leadership, and, uh, and who wouldn't want me? But didn't want me. And I had barriers to employment because of the disability. You know, being legally blind comes with comorbidities like anxiety and depression. and uh, So you bring in all that with you, right? We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centers. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Can I say, though, that when you, when you said the words, I have major depressive disorder, it went through my head. I, I left the conversation for just a moment because it went through my head, wow, you know, one time that would have been considered a weakness. But when I hear you say it in this conversation, I think, what strength? Like, that strength. <laughs> really? So I just wanted, I just wanted to just have a little aside and say to me, when you said that, I was like, you go, girl. You're talking in a very frank way, and I think that's helpful to so many people, and that's what you are doing these days. You're helping so many people. I am. By being who you are and sharing the lessons that you've, you know, come by pretty in a, in a, in a hard way. In a hard way. Yeah. One time I was so pissed off, I wrote every every politician a letter saying, I can't believe you don't want me. <laughs> like, I am a hard worker. I can't believe I did that now. But, um, you know, and I'm getting wore down. I mean, I had like, in 08, uh, my house on the market and foreclosure notice in the morning, sale in the afternoon. Like, I'm telling it all, sister. Mm. That was where I was. And I met somebody, I, I, my daughter had gone off to school, I went to Ontario to see if I could find work, connect with some of my people, and I met somebody and they said, have you thought about entrepreneurship? And my response was, what the bleep would I sell? <laughs> For your benefit, I'll use bleep. 
Like, what do you see? And and he said, like, all of the stuff you've done, you know. Like, I may have only gone to law school for a year, but I did learn how to do contract law and tendering, and I'm a mechanic, for God's sake. And, you know, I, I graduated from university with distinction. I know how to do shit. Sometimes you have to see yourself through someone else's right. lens. So I said, okay, let's try this. I started doing little stuff from home. Income tax, and I'd meet somebody who had a little business, and then the wife needed to know how to keep the books. I didn't really know, but I could learn. I had figured out how to learn, mm -hmm. so I would learn it today, sell it tomorrow kind of thing. <laughs> and I was doing that for a couple of years, and I went to, uh, I wrote a paper in university called The Education of At-Risk Adults because I recognized myself as different from the people in class. And uh, I, we need a little more hand-holding. And I found in the apprenticeship model in mechanics that there was a more tender way of helping people. You know, I did extremely well in mechanics, not because I, was, I had all this aptitude, but because I had phenomenal people who came alongside and said, I'm going to show you how to do that. Just do this little trick. And I thought they could do that with adults who decided to go back to school. So the women's worlds came to Canada. Somebody had heard about me. They invited me to go to Ottawa. They bought me a ticket, gave me meals. And I went to Ottawa and I talked about the education of at-risk adults. And there was a group there from the, uh, Labrador. And they said, they, they called me afterwards and said, could you write a grant application for us? We want to house incarcerated women. And I'm like, Oh my God, I hate telling lies. I'm like, did I say something in that talk that made them believe I knew how to write a grant? Like what? <laughs> and I asked them, like, did I tell you I wrote grants? Like, please tell me I didn't. They could tell you could figure it out fast, I bet. They said, if you can tell a story like that, Debbie, you can write our story down on paper. Right. So I said, okay, let's do it. Let's do this. I wrote that grant. They got that like 1.3 million renewable of 10 years or some such thing. It's the art of persuasion. That was it. Right? Your storytelling. That's right. Yeah. So I did that. And uh, in the middle of that, the funder wanted them to know the logic model of change management. So I went to the library and got a book, and I taught them. And I started to think, like, Debbie, maybe you can make a few dollars. So in 2015, I had, was tired of doing it at home. Nobody knew who I was, just the community. I lived in Cyprus. And I opened a storefront, put up my shingle, people can training and development create a better life. That was my tagline. And the rest is history. 2018, I closed it down, took it online. Now I'm an adult educator. I've written four books all about overcoming un unconscious bias. Let's talk about the intersection of purpose and entrepreneurship. Purpose and business. I mean, is this all about business for you? There oh, you go. Oh, gosh. There's... Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw you that softball. <laughs> I knew you did it out of the park. <laughs> no, no. I, I think this is where the military stuff came in handy because we were so purpose-driven, right? Oh, that's really interesting. You know, like nobody in the military joined in 1980 because of the money, let me tell you that. Right. In a, I was stationed in Edmonton for my first two years, and we were single. And in Edmonton at the time, that was the most expensive place to live in Canada. Yeah, so purpose. I was always purpose-driven, never about the money. I always wanted to get back to that service, 
mm-hmm. you know, but it was easy for me to say, I want to do this work because I don't want anybody else to ever have to go through it. But I, it's, you know, when people say, I know I'm resilient, I know I'm resilient, and I know I'm intuitive, I know all of that, but I would rather have any other affliction than resilience. You can't get resilience without a bunch of shit. Yeah, that's it. The resilience is hard won. But yeah. I, I love what you're saying, and that's what I'm talking about, that that intersection between purpose and business that is the sweet spot that really drives, I think, a successful business because you're not just about the money. No. It, you know you've got to make money, but yes. that's okay. If you can make money doing something that you feel passionate about and helping other people, like that's what I mean by the sweet spot. Right. How nice is that? How does it feel? How does it feel? It's beyond you. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, I'm 60 now. Best decade ever. And dragging a, a lot of people through that door. So this is my thing. You know, I only teach three things. Communication and not like stage communication, but like clear articulation of what you're trying to say kind of thing. How to build a powerful network mm-hmm. and money mindset. We're going to create a decent life. We're going to bring everybody along with us. So all of the times when I was in a vacuum, when nobody put a hand out, they just watched me implode. And I'm not being that. Mm-hmm. I'm being the, let's open a door. When you've got to open a crack, stick your foot in it and wave them all through. Now you're going to make me cry. That's a thing of beauty. Tell me what it looks like to pull people through that door, as you say. When I was in Sackville and I got a little bit of traction in the community, I I introduced the first Women's Day event. And Sackville is kind of a rural, rurally kind of a feel, mm-hmm. even though it's only right there. They didn't have a YMCA. They didn't have all of the stuff that the city has. And I'm like, you got to have a place where... Women can talk about their shit. So I had this Women's Day event, and I invited in some, you know, phenomenal women, and and we told our stuff. And it was hard stuff. And then this hundred women that attended were like, oh, my God, they're talking about their stuff. And, but we're, not, we're now, like, you know, middle-class women. You know, we're women who can tell our story and not feel threatened by you hearing it and so they you know it was the first time that was seen so that there's that now we're all going to be imperfect together how do we move forward from here yeah the power of vulnerability yeah so it was that and then i you know along the way i've won a few awards i started writing down in little books to do workshops i wanted to talk about money mindset i studied for a year you know uh bob proctor stuff about law of traction, and I got fascinated with that stuff. But I wanted to bring it to the people who, uh, there's a group of people that they're like the working poor. They don't engage with the system in terms of, you know, any of the organizations that are interested in. So uh, they do it out. Like I was one of those people, you know, I was not going out to an organization in the community and telling them that I didn't have groceries. I was mm-hmm. buying my child's lunches and then Dome it out, hmm. you know. So there was those people, and I wanted them to be vulnerable, to do what I couldn't do. So I I started 
talking about stuff in, in my books and stuff, doing talks all over the place, all over the country, wherever I could. I went into communities and talked about, went to Digby and talked about it, went to Cape Breton. Rural, my people. And uh, along the way, I met kids, uh, kids that would come to Nova Scotia on full scholarship and, you know, mess it up. And I'd been to law school. So I approached their parents and asked if I could connect them to my network, my powerful network. <laughs> and I do that now, intentionally. And nobody will ever be in the state that I was in because they'll always have made a call. Mm. And I know people. So somebody will be able to help. That's amazing. How does it feel to be in that position where you can truly help people in a an extraordinarily meaningful way. Oh my God, it's absolutely lovely because um, they'll often say, I can't do that, Debbie. You know, you have like, that's I don't have any of that. And I'm like, oh no, I didn't have any. I didn't have any of that either. This is what happens when you push against the wall. I'm not going to push you to the wall. I'm going to show you, you know, the soft way of getting here. Uh, it feels lovely. It's, it's what I'm supposed to do. And so now I'm more of a existential type thinker. And it, uh, that was what I was supposed to do. All of that. I could not, like absent the military treatment at the end of it. I love my military service. Like love, love it. Uh, absent that, absent like the law school experience, the visual impairment, like didn't there is no me making an impact. And I love it. Last year, I got a little award, uh, youth mentor in Newfoundland, youth mentor. It, it, a little lemonade award. It's called, it's like one of my, I love it. It's like my academy. I want to thank the academy. <laughs> <laughs> Making lemonade out of I lemons. Love it. Right, right. That's yeah. what they stand for. You're the lemonade lady. I think that the door is open to a lot of opportunity for certain people. And, uh, Nobody wants to talk about that. And I want to tell people that they, to raise awareness about the privilege that they have to walk through a door and make us aware of how hard it is for us to push that door open. People are coming alongside and they're like, I'll help you. People want to help. They just didn't know we had this problem with this door. So they want us in the room. They just don't know what we need. So I want to be that person. Talks about that gap. All right. You said you don't want awards, but uh, if you were able to write a script for what people would say about you when you're gone, what would it be? Odessa, she's a hard case. She could swear like a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> How about she changed a lot of lives? I don't really care if they say that. And they probably will, but... They don't need to say anything about me. They just need to go on about doing whatever they want. Oh, my gosh. Best answer ever. It's not about performance. It's about contribution. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's have a good cry now. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. We love sharing love stories of all kinds, and that could include yours. So do you or someone you know have an uplifting tale to tell? Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram using at Canadian Love Map or email producer at podstarter.io. 
We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.